I'm a doctor. But probably not the one you're expecting. Welcome back to Pieces of Eight, the Doctor Who podcast that's like the sun you've always wanted. In each episode, when we dress for the occasion, we take a look at a different aspect of the Doctor Who multiverse, which features Paul McGann's Doctor. I'm Kenny Smith. And I'm Rebecca Chapman. We're back for our second season, where we're going to look over the eighth Doctor's exploits, whether on screen, in books, novellas, full cast audios, short stories, comics, animations, talking books, or anything else. So Kenny, what have we been up to since we last released an episode? That's a very good question, Becca. What have we been doing? Well, I suppose our Twitter followers will have noticed that we've been sharing a few things of interest on there. Have you had any favourites that we've done? Uh, I quite liked the first press release. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was one of those gems that I kept from the time because, as you know, I am so old. I was working at... Very old. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, Oh, to be 26. I am so ancient that back in about 25 years ago, I was working at a local newspaper in Scotland, the East Kilbride News. And this was when there were the days before emails. And if you wanted a press release instantly, you had to phone up the press office and they would fax it to you. So I got copies of the announcement of Paul McGann's casting and then the follow-up one with the rest of the cast faxed to me and these releases are still in their original faxed form on that shiny fax paper nice i'm assuming that you know what a fax is being so young of course i know what a fax is (laughs) (laughs) it's that thing that makes you better from covid (laughs) oh no that's fax (laughs) no 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 i definitely know (laughs) I definitely know what faxes are. We had one at school when I was younger. The the noise of a fax machine still haunts me. (laughs) I hope they weren't about you. I hope you weren't misbehaving. No, no, I was a very good girl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you were. So, we also had the press pack that was released by the BBC at the time as well which was again sent out to journalists and that's pretty much what they used to do with movie notes as well. So it was pretty much like being treated by the BBC's press office like a movie, a proper movie with the production notes, the cast and things like that and interviews. So it was all quite an interesting read just coming across that again because I hadn't looked at that in years. Yeah, no, I can imagine. I mean, being able to see them and actually be able to read them for the first time was fascinating. So I do appreciate your hoarder nature. So you're calling me a great big hoarder? Yes. That's fine. I accept the chat. I accept that title. I accept it. Because um, and some of the other things that were in there were also just, again, back in the days of printed stuff before emails. They used to issue TV notes on a weekly basis to tell you what the schedules were. And I also kept some of the schedules and the cover page for what was released that week and everything they were saying about the TV movie. So that was all kept and it was put into a lovely... TARDIS type folder, which was quite similar to ones used by the Doctor Who Appreciation Society in the late 80s, early 90s, but that's what the BBC Aww. used officially, so I popped that in there. But of course, 
there's a few more things I haven't shared yet, including the launch of the eighth Doctor BBC novel. So I think when we come to that episode, perhaps in the future, we haven't recorded that or even scheduled it, um, an overview of them, but that may be quite interesting <laughs> one to share then. Merlin. Merlin, Merlin, don't chew on my arm. For those who don't know, Merlin is Becca's cat, who is a very mischievous, friendly young fellow, and he's obviously wanted to make his presence felt in this yes, episode. Yes, he's... he's... Yes, he's beautiful, but he decided that my arm was a chew toy. <laughs> it's good. But of course, the other thing that we've been up to in between, uh, apart from having a lovely uh, lunch a few weeks ago when I was down and said hello to you. Yes, yes. Oh, that was so, God, I can't believe that was so near and so far. At the I same know. Time. And we had five guys for lunch. We didn't have to invite five gentlemen around. We just had food from the five guys <laughs> burger company. Ah, uh, Five Guys Burgers are amazing. Well, that was the first I'd had, and I love it, and the customization. so definitely yes. need to have I one. mean, the milkshake. Oh, oh drool. <laughs> but oh, this, is, this is not the pieces of food or pieces of Five Guys podcast. This is Pieces of Eight. We've been yes. keeping busy with some interviews for our second season. Yes, we have. And yes, we have. as I quickly look in front of me, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine content for nine of the 13 in hand so before we talk about today's one we should maybe tease some of the ones that we've already done we've got a chat that was very interesting tease music i would not normally go for the pink panther but it's not bad it's not bad uh, we've done earth and beyond and yes. we've yep. talked about the Radio Times recent poll to find the best Big Finish monthly range series and we've had a chat about 8th Doctor Top 5 we've also <laughs> had a chat with the writer of the 8th Doctor novel The Body Snatchers Mark Morris and we've even had a chat with the man who now owns the TARDIS console from the TV movie who lives in America and yes, yes and as if that wasn't enough We've got another big finish chat coming up as well for the Sontaran Ordeal, where we've spoken with writer Andrew Smith and actor Dan Starkey. So that's just a preview of some of the things. We've got our season finale recorded as well, but we're not going to tell you what that is just yet. Plus one no. other... No. Plus we have the other special episode with you know who I'm talking about, but we're not going to talk about them yet. But... Yes, it's a rather nice, and we've even got a lovely celeb intro for it as well. We do, we do. Yeah, but um, I am that, but that's super epi- excited about that one. Yes, that's episode eleven, which will be very exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we shall say no more about that. So yes, we have been keeping ourselves busy in this wee gap between our seasons. So let's get back to the present. And given that we've already revealed the first guest of our new run in the last episode of season one, we might as well have a quick chat about. The lovely Yi Ji Cho. He was so lovely. He was, wasn't he? That was a lovely he evening. Was. It was a, it was morning for him because he's in Canada, in Vancouver, and here we are over here, well, with me in Glasgow and you in Southampton, and that was just such a pleasant evening. It was. It was lovely. He was wonderful to talk to. And as you said before, really? he's one of us. He is such a geek. He is. He is one of us. One of us. One of us. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) And just the passion with which he spoke about the movie was fantastic. And his involvement with it beyond 
that uh, four or five weeks work in 1996. So yeah, it's fascinating. So that's probably about time to let the man introduce himself. What do you think? Yes, please. I'm Yiji Cho. I played Chang Lee in the Doctor Who TV movie. Welcome to Pieces of Eight, EG. We normally open our chats by asking people how they first heard about the TV movie and Paul McGann's <laughs> casting. But given you were there, we should probably ask, had you heard much about Doctor Who before you were cast? Ah, yeah. So uh, when I was growing up, I was what they refer to as a latchkey kid. Uh, my parents were, were you know, new to Canada. They both had jobs that were very demanding. They were working a lot. So basically, I'd come home from school and just, you know, uh, be pretty much on my own and uh, uh, my grandmother was, was there we didn't speak the same language so it was like I would, pretty much I was on my own um, so I just I'd turn the TV on and you know I'd have my little you know table thing with snacks and I'd do some homework but the TV was just on the, the whole time like probably like six or eight hours a day um, and so and this stuff was just streaming by and I'm like doing other things and Doctor Who was one of the, uh, the it was the Tom Baker era um, or that was the one that we were getting on PBS at the time because um, uh, it, was, it was showing on our um, public broadcast uh, service. And yeah, and so, yeah, it was just one of the shows that paraded through my life at that, at that time. Um, so I knew about Doctor Who. I can't, sadly, I can't really recall anything about particular plots or anything like that. And that, that goes the same for all the shows I watched back then. I just, I can't remember anything about them because I really wasn't paying all that much attention, but but I, I feel like it was a part of my life. So yeah, I, I recognized the name when I got the audition. Yeah. So can you tell us maybe a wee bit about your career before you appeared in the TV movie and how you get into acting and then again about auditioning to get the part of Chang Lee? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, there's a funny story there actually. But um, so we'll we'll get there. Um, yeah, when when I was in high school, I was um, I was doing like high school. Mu our 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 school had a pretty pretty intensive like musical musical theater program, and they put on this fairly big production. They'd have like hundreds of people come into this audition and, and uh, this auditorium, and we'd do like a series of you know five or ten shows over a couple weeks. And it was it was full on. It was fun. They had a full orchestra there and everything. And a friend of mine and I were doing that. And then and then another friend when we were in grade 10, so I was 15 at the time, he was going to this open audition for, for this show and, and he wanted me to go with him because he was feeling like kind of nervous, right? So so I was like, okay, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. And I, we went and it so happens that I got a, a part in that thing. It's, it was this uh, local early, early teen drama thing called uh, Hillside. Uh, and actually Ryan Reynolds, which you, I'm sure you guys have all heard of, got his start uh, he might have done something before then but i don't think so he was a couple years younger than me he was 12 and i was 15 and uh, and he was on that show that was that and so so that, that was probably the biggest name that came out of that show but that, that's a pretty significant one so i kind of got the bug a little bit and i started to do a bit more and i got it i went to go get an agent and and the first thing that i worked in professionally uh well that one was a professional gig but it wasn't a union gig the first thing that i like auditioned for at like a casting director proper was for this heritage canada thing that and um we, we the government of canada made these little historical vignettes anyway long story short fast forward i'd done another teen show i'd done i'd done a few things before doctor who came along and and so i got the audition the casting director for this audition had cast me in another teen show called Madison. And so we'd worked together before and everything. And so did, did the audition, got, got some callbacks. I, I have to say part of it was, well, a lot of it is luck. I mean, to be honest, like I, 
it's very tempting to not credit luck for the good things that happen in our lives because it allows us to take the credit for ourselves basically always oh, because i i'm such a hard worker i'm so talented or there's something really great about myself that makes all these wonderful things happen but you know there's an element of luck really if we want to be honest with ourselves um and there weren't that many you know asian actors of my age uh in vancouver at the time and they were trying to cast out of vancouver they probably cast local for it so so you know we did a few auditions and it came down to two of us and I, I was very bad at time management at the time. I probably still am, although I think I'm, I've gotten better. But but I think inherently I'm just bad with time, ironically. And so and the the studio where this third this was the third audition now, right? So they whittled it down to two of us, and we're both supposed to go into this third and final audition. They've got the network executives, and so Phil Siegel's there, and and the director Jeffrey Sachs is there, and everyone you know it's the big deal right and and uh and it's out in it's at the studio where the studio would be in burnaby and the drive from my place downtown to burnaby was was just not something that i i really had any skill in reasoning about and i think i gave myself i pretty much gave myself like a minute to get there right like i'm like oh i'm just gonna i'm just gonna transport myself there Needless to say, it wasn't remotely enough time. It was rush hour, getting dark. Like I got there, by the time I got there, I was like an hour late. And and you don't do this. Uh, I don't know anyone out there who's had to go to auditions and, and whatever, like you are not late for an audition. If you are, you could pretty much just throw in the towel. Like if you're not 15 minutes early, you could call yourself negligent. And here I was showing up an hour late and everyone's, still there much to my surprise and the casting director is very nervously like okay come on in and i get into the room and i was like well you know i've blown it there's no possible way i can be working on this show i'm just gonna whatever like i'm just gonna ignore that whole thing and just just do it like what else am i gonna do right and i don't even remember my audition it couldn't possibly have been very good or anything i just uh, just did it and and then i got the part and and then and then it was it was at the um, it was at the uh, so luck right it was at you know this is why it's lucky so we were at it was in Chicago Visions or something I was on a panel with Philip Siegel this was I, I, this was after the movie came out and somebody asked like oh why did you just how did you decide on Yiji Cho for this thing and he recounted the story of how I was late and all the important people that were there and how audacious it was for an actor to just stroll in there an hour late and just be like so laissez-faire about it it was like he 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 said it's it's like he didn't care about anything and that's what we wanted for the character <laughs> we wanted this attitude for chang lee that it was just like well f you then like whatever like just you know and so i got the part maybe partly because i was late <laughs> it seems ridiculous to me but yeah anyways there yeah there is a saying in the acting world i don't know how true it is it's very superstitious actors are a very superstitious bunch because you really have absolutely no control over anything and humans find try to find they, they try to find agency where there isn't right if if you know in in those conditions and one of the sayings is that um you know if if you're meant to get the part there's nothing that you can do to not get it and and if you're not meant to it there's nothing you can do to get it so it's just this sort of fatalistic kind of thing but but in this case clearly it proves out <laughs>
Well, what do you recall about your first day as Chang Lee? Did you have rehearsals as a cast, or was it just straight onto location? No, we had rehearsals. Yeah, uh, we did a reading. We did a table reading, and uh, I, I know that I know that Daphne and Paul had a couple of days of rehearsals before before we kind of got started. But I wasn't there for most of that. But I was definitely there for the table reading, and I think there was. I can't remember if there was another rehearsal. No, I think I think what we did is prior to. Prior to certain shoot days, or sorry, at the beginning of certain shoot days, we'd kind of do a, a dry run of everything we we're going to do that day. But that that was, yeah, that wasn't always the case. How did you enjoy working in a production with so many Brits involved behind the scenes? Was that something quite different for you? Oh yeah, 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 and and I mean, and totally cool too. Like I, I always had this sort of, you know, fascination with British culture, right? Like the the Beatles and and like I don't know everything about like the. It was mostly maybe about the music, but because uh, I'm a big, big music fan, I, I play and write music as well. And it, but yeah, like England had always been this thing. Like I wanted, I'd always kind of wanted to go and like live there. But I, I hadn't actually done that. But I, I did get to spend quite a bit of time there, going to, to conventions and so forth from Doctor Who. So thank you for that. <laughs> How did you find working with Paul McGann, Daphne Ashbrook, and Eric Roberts? You shared a lot of screen time with Eric specifically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Eric was interesting. So, don't I don't think it's a secret that, um, like you know, some people maybe just don't get along totally with with Eric, whatever. And that's that's fine. I don't I don't I think it, I think I think that's the case for anybody probably. I had an interesting. So the first time the first time I met Eric was at the Plaza of Nations, where you know it was where the New Year's scene took place, the Brilliant Clock, and all that kind of stuff, and. And uh, and I remember I remember the the first instance of meeting him, the first interaction we had, walking away from that, going, oh, am I in trouble here? <laughs> like, I I was, you know, maybe kind of intimidated. Like there was, I felt like there was a bit of an issue. And but but throughout the filming, as, as you said, you know, we had a lot of screen time together. There was this sort of off-screen dynamic of like almost like a almost a paternal kind of a thing like he would like he would like take me aside and kind of like give me give me advice on like how to you know what things not to do as an actor and like and you know whatever like you just you know these little lectures here and there and they, it, it, I it's and it's funny because I to this day I don't actually know if that was just how he how he is I don't think so I think he was doing a method actor type thing where he was crafting an off-screen relationship that would feed into the on-screen relationship, right? Because Chang Lee and the master have this, there's this sort of paternal, this kind of twisted sort of paternal thing going on, right? He puts his arm around him. It's like Asian child. Like there's this, there's this sort of kind of sick, like paternal thing happening. And Chang Lee is like kind of standoffish with him, but also, but but sometimes is slightly afraid of him, but isn't generally afraid of things. So just basically tries to like wall himself off of like, I don't know, like there's, so, and that whole thing, like that was what it was like off stage, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so either, either he did it intentionally or he didn't, but I think um, somehow it, it was very much like the, the, uh, the on-screen and off-screen were, were very much alike. It must have been rather different, though, with the likes of Paul and Daphne and Sylvester, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, completely different. Um, 
I don't have any reason to question whether there was uh, anything being crafted off off screen. I think that their working style is just like completely like different, maybe. Um, and uh, I, I didn't have a ton of time with Paul, to be honest, um, and 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 a bit of time with with Sylvester, but not a lot. Um, but but it was it was always super enjoyable. Like we've talked about Sylvester before. He's so like he's Sylvester's like just he's the entertainer, and he was like just. And it's, you can't not have a good time when you're hanging out with Sylvester. And um, and Paul is like Paul is a poet. I mean that that man is uh, he's he's an he's an artist to the to the core. And Daphne is just like always so so friendly and full of love and and super. You can't. I mean she's um, she's like the mother of love. If I had to describe her in a way, right? So I mean you put these people together and uh, and you can only have a good time. Really, it was a very it was a lovely uh, lovely cast. Let's uh, move indoors. Let's talk about the TARDIS set. It looks absolutely mm. stunning on screen. In fact, I've got it as my desktop wallpaper on the computer with which I'm <laughs> from which I'm speaking to you just now. Awesome. What do you remember of it the first time you saw it? It, it looks so impressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, walking onto that set for the first time was unlike anything I'd done before. And I think I think most of the cast members would say that too. And actually, even to this day, I mean, there have been other sets that I've worked on that have you know intricate detail and, and, and whatnot, but I don't think there's anything that was handcrafted like that. That that's it was that was a new that was a new experience and and the level of detail they went through and the, the sheer scope of what they were doing was like mind blowing. Like you, you walk into the cloister room and there were there was this there was this little sort of like uh, off stage like a like a like a tunnel almost or whatever like this little hallway that they made so that when you shot through and if the doors were open you'd see this hallway instead of like the the sound stage right and and so you and you'd walk through this thing and it, they had a couple of torches in, in there they had these torches throughout the whole place that were actually lit with fire so when they before they before they um, they were I think they were oil or, or gas or, or, or something but they would light them and it was actual fire like burning. And so they'd light these torches. You'd be in this like little hallway thing with these torches blazing, and they'd throw these double doors open. Like somebody would be back there, like pulling on these things. And so, like I, I remember one entrance, I would like touch the door, and they'd go poof, and like you know, just fling open. And then you'd be in front of this massive space with torches everywhere and gothic like stained glass windows, and this lighting would be like beaming in. And they'd have the smoke and everything, so you could like see these beams of light coming in. It was just, Pwah! like your head would just explode every time. Anyway, sorry, that was a long. I keep rambling. Sorry. No, not at all. It's it's, <laughs> it's just adding to the color of it. It's just it's, it's oh, cool, cool. they're just beautiful sets. The the TARDIS console, just everything around it. It just it gets me really excited. You know, just when I look at it and just think, oh, I want to go and visit it, but sadly, long <laughs> since junked. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't think they. Uh, there are bits and pieces of it. So I think the TARDIS console got retrieved somehow, or purchased, or something, or, or procured in some way, and was making its rounds uh, to various like conventions and so forth. So maybe I will get to see it one day. <laughs> yeah. How did you find shooting something so iconically British like Doctor Who in Vancouver? That was odd. Yeah, that was pretty weird. I was like, I was like, wow, I can't believe they're actually doing. It. But you know, in some ways, it actually makes sense. So I mean, e even though it was American production, American and, and uh, British co-production, you know, 
Canada was part of the Commonwealth at one point, right? So, you know, in a way, it kind of makes sense that, that, that it was here. And yeah, and Vancouver doubles for San Francisco sometimes. Like, that's a thing that happens. So yeah, I mean, in, in a way, it, it made logical sense. But it was it was odd seeing seeing the things here, like like seeing, you know, in all of the, you know, walking onto set and hearing the, the British accents like so ubiquitously. It was, uh, it was, it was kind of a neat experience. It was like traveling in a way. <laughs> I get what you mean about that. Um, this, that strangeness, sort of uh, that dis- discombobulation, for want of a word, because at the <laughs> moment we've got Glasgow doubling up for Gotham City for the next Batman film, and also oh, wow. in the next Indiana Jones film as well for somewhere <laughs> in America. So yes, I completely get where you're coming from with that. Yeah, that's that's it's weird how they do that. Hey, movies, it's incredible. It is. It must have been disappointing for you. I mean, there was a was for us as fans, but the movie didn't go to series because it just would have been so great to have Lee back as one of the companions because there's this sort of, he's had his journey, he's had his redemption, and we're all ready for the next chapter in his life, but mm. then we don't get mm. to see it. I mean, what do you recall <laughs> about watching the film for the first time and the subsequent reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a great time watching it. Um, you know, fast forward many, many years later, I've watched it with my kids, uh, and they they enjoy it. And you know, I hear about about people. We've done these. We've done these sort of like watch along things on the on the internet, right? Like uh, to celebrate the twentieth. I think we did that, and and and, uh, and so yeah. And, and I mean, I think somehow I feel like it actually has maybe gotten better with time, right? Like like yeah. They, they, it's funny because they they were doing this in an era where CGI wasn't fully developed yet. Right, like computer-generated graphics was was a was a relatively newer thing at, at at the time, right? So they were experimenting a little bit with that, or I mean, at the time it wasn't considered experimenting, but looking back on it, based on what they're doing now with CGI, I mean, it's just a completely different world, like just so like completely different. And so there's this kind of blend of um, of sort of real life, uh, sort of tra- traditional special effects, um, practicals, and and computer-generated stuff. Uh, and and at the end, at the time, uh, you were you were kind of like I don't think that we really like took it in why we may have been a bit weirded out by that, but it was it was new basically it was because it was new new stuff right, but then fast forward to like 25 years later, um, almost 26 now, you watch it with that context right you you watch it kind of just inherently knowing where the world of filmmaking goes or whatever. And it, and then it brings with it this sort of, it, it brings that context, it brings the period along with it. And it somehow it's cured, you know, like aged in a way that, yeah, like just, I feel it's better now for some reason. I don't know. A bit like a cult movie almost. That's right. Yeah. Like with Neil and I or something. <laughs> Did you realize that by entering the Doctor Who family, you would have people wanting to talk to you about it? like? the rest of time <laughs> i didn't no i had no idea i had i literally had the first time they invited me to a convention i was like oh that's interesting wow i wonder what that's like and then i went to it and i was like okay well done deal like that's all finished now on with life and then another convention comes along i was like oh really okay wow how long is this gonna go on for and then they invited me out to england and i was like hey this is pretty cool i get to travel and then i still thought it was over but every every time it happens i'm like it's done the 50th anniversary thing at the uh, i don't know if you guys had a chance to go there was a, there's a there was the massive thing at i can't remember the place it's called it, the excel center excel center excel center yeah 
and this was you know i mean 50 years after the thing but also 20 also 6 17 or so year i can't remember many many years after the tv movie and here i am getting you know invited to this thing and and it's bloody massive it's 25 30,000 people this huge thing and every every uh companion from the 50 year history of the show was there and it was just this and i was like i did not expect this to be like there was no way i thought that, that was going to be happening but there it was <laughs> yeah. amazing and due to rights issues we've sadly not been able to get chang lee and grace in the big finish mm. audios but you have mm. worked with daphne again in several big finish productions with you as Charlie yeah. Sato and her as Ruth Matheson. How much fun yeah. has it been seeing her again? Oh, it's a blast. Yeah, Daphne, Daphne and I always, always, always have a laugh together. Yeah, because, you know, we kind of have a bond because we're not, you know, not, neither of us are doctors. We kind of like feel like we, we both kind of feel like we're straight. We're, we're just kind of like, you know, straggling, you know, straggling along with the party kind of thing. or just like observers in this sort of like journey or whatever. Anyway, that, that's how I feel about it in a way. And I, I think that I think that we kind of bond over that and, and among other things i mean she she's a she's a she's she's a singer as well she's written a book and and uh, as well and um and she's a parent as well so you know there's all these things that and and she's always just um uh, just laughs a lot and uh and is a very lovely person so yeah so working and big finish is always a, a blast it's always really really fantastic and the opportunity to actually do a diff to have like a different character being carried through sort of a, a multi-episode arc, so to speak, um, in the Doctor Who universe, you don't really get that kind of opportunity in very often, if at all, in, in, in acting, right? Like like usually when they cast you in a TV show or something or, or a movie, um, they don't, they try not to cast you in something else in the same franchise. Um, whereas Big Finish has really opened up the opportunity to do that. So yay, I mean, <laughs> couldn't be more happy with that. What a lot of people won't know is that at the time you took quite a few photos whilst filming was happening with the movie and published them as a book. How did that come about? Okay, so yeah. Uh, so back then, they didn't have the restrictions on taking photos on set, right? Like now, now <laughs> that's why, yeah. Um, now, nowadays, you couldn't go anywhere near set with a camera that works. So they would like, they literally take your firstborn child. I think it's in the contract, actually. Like the NDAs are like, you know, it's going to be your firstborn child, your left arm, you know, like it's all these things. And and so, but back then they didn't have anything like that. So, um, and I was kind of always playing around with photography. So I had a Nikon FE, it was like an old school, just like a film, like a big SLR camera. And, and I brought it to set with me sometimes, not, not all the time. I clearly regret the times that I didn't bring it on set now, but I brought it on set um, sometimes and, and took, and just took some photos. And it was like, you know, I'd, I'd run around the, I'd run around the cloister room and I'd, I'd put it on something. I'd set the timer and then I'd run over there and, and, you know, do the scene <laughs> and then go and pick up the camera afterwards and hope that it was still there or that the shot worked, like just kind of cross my fingers. Um, I wasn't a very good photographer per se, but because a lot of them were wide shots and because the lighting was so amazing, I practically had to do no actual photographic work, right? Like, um, anyway, so, I mean, throughout the years, that stuff just got lost. Like, I didn't, I had no idea what happened to it. I had a terrible part of my life where, I don't know, just dark times, good times, whatever, all these things happened. Fast forward, I don't know, I want to say 15, 20 years. It was like 2000, it was like 
pretty close to the 20th anniversary. So it might have been 2014 or something like that. Um, my wife was going through our garage and kind of just cleaning it out. And she finds this box that had come from my mom when she moved away from Vancouver. And that was a house that I had grown up in. And, and my mom had some stuff of mine. And anyway, this box made it to the garage and she opened it up and then she came and got me. She's like, you, you gotta, you gotta come and see this. Right. So we were looking at this thing together and inside I've got copies of the script, the original script from the show, um, the one line schedules, the location schedules, the day, day out of days, all these like production documents, basically an old cast photo that, that we'd gotten like with the whole cast and every, a cast and crew and everything, like one of the like, end of production shoots, um, the old TARDIS tin that we got as a gift, like just all this stuff from, from the show. Uh, and the negatives for that I had for these pictures that I'd taken. And I was just like, like, this is just sitting in a box in the garage. I can't believe it. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So someone's going to want to see this, right? Like, like I don't, whatever, whatever, like, how, okay, how do I, I, and I, I wasn't going to do the thing like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to sell the script on eBay or something. Like I didn't mean like someone wants to see it like in that way, but I mean like someone wants to revisit the whole journey from this perspective right like in this box is a perspective of the show that most people well no one really had the opportunity to to experience right it was like a whole new experience of the movie sitting in that box so i'm like how do you know how do i how do i make that happen so you know, on Twitter a couple of times, I was like talking about it. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do a photo book. I'm going to, because I had done, I'd gone on to do more sort of professional photography stuff. I actually was a commercial photographer for in like the architectural and, and, and uh, uh, like for construction companies and so forth. So, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go and take some photos of the way that the sets are now. This, this being like, you know, I think 20 um it, it was like the 19 18th or 19th year since, since the movie i was like okay this amount of time has passed i'm gonna see how, what do these places look like now right so i did a tour of vancouver i went to every location uh that was still available to go to and and tried to take some photos of like what it was like now and especially like the chinatown one you know you could go to the spot where the tardis landed in chinatown it's right down the street actually tomorrow there's someone who's coming to visit me, who's, who's a Doctor Who fan, but he, he, he has a website for, anyway, long story short, I've never met him before. We're gonna go and walk over there and like stand around on the spot where the TARDIS was and just kind of like, you know, check it out. And that kind of thing just fascinates me because in the exact same physical location, right? Like the same space, I call the book Time and Spaces because in the same space, you just adjust this little knob, this time knob and everything changes right like it's just it blows my mind like when you think so so yeah so the anyway long story short the whole thing turned into this book idea and then i was on twitter and then uh milk publishing from from uh uh rygate i think they were in, in england got caught wind of it and was like we want to make this thing with you and they just had the right feel about them they had to they kind of had the uh, it felt like their hearts were in the right places and and yeah, so we put the books together. I scanned the production documents. I wrote some historical kind of some narrative background about, just wrote down some thoughts about filming the thing and, and all that, some stories about like, you know, how the audition went and all that it's, it's in the book and published the book. <laughs> yeah. 
And of course, it might be out of physical print at the moment. Instead, my copy is signed. I got mine in Forbidden Planet in London. Sadly, not from you personally, but uh, next, if, if I see you, then I'm going to get it amended. Um, 100%, yes. Absolutely. So I believe you've got plans to reprint it, and there's also a digital version that people can buy. And where can they get it from? Yeah, yeejecho.com slash book. So it's y-e-e-j-e-e-t-s-o.com slash book. And yeah, you can you can get the digital version there. I basically like narrated the book. So another narration job I made for myself. Um, uh, narrated the book and some of the uh, photos from the book and, and got some video footage and mixed it all together into this sort of like, you know, this video uh, with, with music. Actually, it's all original music on there that I got, that I, I produced with, um, with some, some, some really good session musicians. Yeah, just put together this thing. And it's available online now, and and then um yeah, and then the the book I'm planning on doing a new edition of the book basically with updated content and so forth for 2026, which would be the 30th anniversary, believe it or not. <laughs> that makes me feel ancient because I queued up for the VHS release in Edinburgh and uh, <laughs> at midnight at, uh, on the 22nd of May 1996. <sighs> there you go. Amazing! Wow. I'm, I'm a true fan. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's totally true. Yes, and we will definitely enhance that uh, that signature that you've got in that book. I can't. I can't wait to see. We'll have to. We'll have to get together. The, yes. Okay. Next time you're in the UK, then uh, yes, yeah. let's let's all go out for uh, an orange juice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. We'll yes. Gang, gang of, yeah. That sounds like a cool. plan. <laughs> yeah. Eg, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Same here. It was really nice to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, hugely appreciated. Stay safe and uh, hopefully we'll see you very soon when worldwide travel is resumed. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, you guys. Amazing. Thank you. Wasn't that amazing? It was. Genuinely, that was... I mean, I think we must have probably spent about the best part of 50-odd minutes chatting with him. Obviously, it's not all good in there because we did have some nice chit-chats before and after. But, yeah, I genuinely couldn't believe how lovely he was because I've been in touch with him over the years for Big Finish stuff as obviously due to rights issues he can't play Chang Lee in Big Finish productions but they've had him in to play some other characters in various ranges and it's just I love how excited he was by it all it's just he's just like a kid in a sweet shop and just brilliant brilliant man I know absolutely I know. brilliant I mean I know you all have edited it out because you are a wonderful editor too kind but I know when I was kind of stumbling over my words and apologised, he was so lovely about it. And I felt awful because you're like, ah, I need to be professional. But no, he was so nice. He's <laughs> oh, wonderful. And you didn't stumble. You didn't stumble. It's, it's just lovely just to be able to have a, have a chit chat. I mean, let's be honest, we're all having conversations. Nobody's perfect and the words what things and bits what when they put things together and what they choose <laughs> in it. Exactly. Brains. They don't work all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but when they do, my goodness, they're wonderful. Indeed. <laughs> so, remember, if you want updates on our latest episodes and other things we've been up to, plus other 8th Doctor news and rarities and silliness, remember to follow us on Twitter, where we're at Pieces of 8th, with 8th written out in full, rather than a number with TH at the end. Yes, because we all know that we don't like calling them by their numbers. But <laughs> that is all we've got time for this week. And I can tell you that next time 
We're going to be joined by the producer and a writer from the first time Paul McGann reprised the part of the Eighth Doctor as Steve Cole and Peter Angelides join us to talk about Earth and Beyond. And it's a fascinating couple of chats with some fascinating revelations with brand new facts to be revealed. I genuinely had no idea about the couple of things that we're going to find out about. It's a good one. I'm sure it is. I am looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, so until next time, I've not been Kenny Smith. And I've not been Rebecca Chapman. Bye. Bye. (laughs)